Oh, so sipsio. I'm reliably informed. This means welcome in Korean. And welcome, joining us as we go again around the world into a new sector and a new culture. Today, we're going to introduce to you Tim Neal. And the easiest way to introduce Tim is the opening statement of his LinkedIn page. Believer that people can do extraordinary things when given an empowering environment to do so. Adam, what was your key takeaway from today? Yeah, it was really good to get Tim to shed some light on the Middle East and also the Far East. Um, and I think that the hearing for me was definitely opportunities. As we move forwards, there's going to be a lot of this, this sort of emerging Asian Gulf market that's coming to the fore. And for anyone, even in the UK, in a quiet part of the UK, it seems like in the next 20 years, it'll be something just to flag up on their radar. Yeah, absolutely. And I think there's a huge amount, as we talk about, to be learned from the East, not just about their customers coming to the West to play golf, but actually about the way that golf is just an enormous market over there. Huge learning from us in this one, Adam. I hope the listeners enjoy. Tim, welcome to the podcast. Thank you for the invitation. Yeah, really excited to have you here. And we've just been discussing when we, we came on the call there that we're probably three rungs of the ladder here in terms of our understanding and experience of golf in Asia. So we've got myself who I'm at the bottom rung. I am curious to hear more about golf in Asia generally, but examples from different countries within Asia. All I really know is from some work at the RNA where I was looking at applications for funding from a number of the national federations in Asian countries. And I learned quite a lot from that. And I've been following various things about Asian golf news over the years, but I've never actually visited in person. We've then got Adam at the next rung of the ladder with us today. Uh, he's visited there um, and he's done some work there, but he is, uh, in his own words, couldn't have been more wrong about his assumptions about how golf actually was run in Asia. And then we've got you as our expert today on golf in Asia. So before we dig into a number of interesting questions, at first glance, people might just ask, you know, how have you ended up being based where you are now? Yeah. So um, I got back to, I say back to, I was in, I was in South Korea in 2017 and I got back here uh, in September last year. So we've been back about four or five months. Um, I was previously based in um, Muscat, uh, Oman, so in the Middle East. I was uh, CEO of a, a golf club resort development, um, which, uh, which we, we, we finished in September last year and obviously came back. Um, previous to that, I was in Dubai. I was general manager of Al Badia Golf Club, working for Intercontinental Hotel Group. Um, and um, yeah, why, why Korea? I, I married a Korean. Um, which is uh, which is which is one of the reasons. And um, in 2017, we we decided to uh, to come back from Dubai. Um, number one for me to to learn Korean culture, but my uh, our son uh, obviously wanted to get him immersed into in, into the culture as well. And then um, uh, I studied Korean language. Um, and I, I worked as a lecture, university lecturer um, on um, organizational leadership management, um, but also a big focus on international interview techniques um, while I was, I was lecturing, which was you know, focused on a bit of uh, you know, emotional intelligence, but very English-based. Um, and um, yeah, so I got to really 
understand the culture, love the culture. Um, and when the project finished in Oman, we were given another opportunity back here. So, uh, so we came back. So my wife now, she set up her business um, and we are uh, in early stages of a, of a new golf development um, in South Korea, which we're hoping to start this year, uh, subject to uh, government approvals. But um, yeah, so that's kind of, for the last decade, I've been in the Middle East um, and now kind of slowly, but now migrated fully over to, over to Asia. Fantastic. Well, I'm very excited then for what we're going to talk about today because you clearly are going to have a lot more experience and knowledge um, to share with all of the, the Gather community. So we start off, as you know, all of our podcasts with our favourite question, which is what would you like to change about the golf industry, but you currently can't? You know, I think I think there's this, you know, and and, and, and I must start, start off with saying, you know, I absolutely love, you know, what you guys are doing with Gather. I, I just... It's, it's absolutely what is needed and, you know, and, and, and I really hear the idea of, of the golf industry is broken. Um, and, and what I would, maybe the way I would approach that question, um, maybe there's, there's a few things I would, I would like to change, but I think maybe is the idea that the golf industry is broken and that it's a bad thing. Um, Makes sense of that. I think that, you know, all industries are broken. Uh, you know, and I think we just need to look at the political landscape in the world at the moment and understand that a lot is broken. But, you know, I think out of the the idea that there's um, there's challenges with industry, you know, we this, this this bears innovation, intuition, creativity, entrepreneurship. Um, and I think this is, you know, no industry will be perfect, but it, I think there needs to be perhaps a slight change on the narrative of, that it's broken, that we need to start again, that everything is, you know, um, you know, all doom and gloom. Um, I've probably, you know, even pre-COVID, maybe spoken to 20, 30 of, of my network uh, globally, and it, it, it fascinates me the amount of people that will use, you know, these doom and gloom terms of stale, of, um, you know, um, it's, it's a really stagnant market, nothing's happening or they're, they're you know, voicing frustrations. Um, and, and then on the flip side, you've kind of got maybe the other 50% of these people who are talking with excitement about, um, you know, innovative ideas, how can we challenge the status quo? Um, you know, I love, you know, listening to what you guys have, you know, spoken about before this, this idea of disruption, um, you know, and, and, and I think that, is what is required in the industry at the moment. We need to understand, yes, it's broken, but, you know, approaching it with a, with a much more of an entrepreneurial mindset um, and understanding that, you know, entrepreneurs are, are problem solvers, um, you know, by trade. I mean, you guys have seen that the industry needs to be connected globally um, and there is a, there's, there's an opportunity there. Um, you know, and not to say the last year for everybody hasn't been because there's been some real hardship. I mean, real hardship. Um, but I think that, you know, trying to have a bit more of um, an innovative, creative outlook is what I would I would like to change. I would like to, you know, and it's uh, it, it, that takes a collective approach. That's not that's not just uh, something I can change on my own or, 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 or you know, I, I would change. But I think it's it's very much a a mindset and things like gather is, is certainly what, you know, uh, are going to help us with that. It's fascinating to hear you there. And I think 
it's definitely around culture, isn't it? We talk about culture with with within our organisations. We talk about culture within just general golf coach culture with golfers and where's that at. But I think I think especially with Gather and what we're seeing is it's developing a new sort of industry culture where we can talk about the problems and if we are, we're going to tackle them head on. We're going to look at solutions. But actually, let's just talk about what's next. Let's talk about the future. Let's talk about that space because that's the space that we all are looking to. That's where, as you say, that 50% of people that talk um, about opportunity want to talk about. So it's really interesting. We're really seeing that just from a gather perspective that um, it's starting to shift just that industry culture in the way of, of, of people talking in that language. Yeah, absolutely. I, I would second that and I would also say not just with what we are trying to do internally and gather and trying to learn from the community and then shape things around what the community is looking for, but just these conversations like we're having with you today, Tim, every single one of the podcast recordings, every single interview or content piece or a blog that someone sends us, every single one of them just educates us a little bit more on what people are looking for, but it's just echoing that same stuff that Adam said there. And I would say it's helped us in the three months since we've launched just slightly shift our focus from that thinking of you know what's everyone's frustrations and we, st- we still ask that question now we ask that p- question online when people join and send and join the joining form on our website but looking at those answers we've then kind of taken them all and we've written well what did what does that member really mean when they say this is a frustration and actually we're trying to turn it around and say what's the way what's the way around this and that's that problem solving innovative thinking so brilliant to hear you say that and just a, a follow-on from an obvious follow-on to that would be: Do you have any sort of sense whether Middle East and Asia, where you've had all your experiences, there's more openness or opportunity for that innovative thinking than there might be perhaps in the Western golfing countries? I, I think yes, um, and but. It, it, it's very, very different. In terms, you know, we, we talk about culture. Um, you know, you look at the Middle East, for example. You've got a, you know, this this melting pot of culture. Um, you know, with Intercon Hotel Group. You know, we were hundred, you know, fourteen hundred colleagues across our four properties, uh, one hundred twenty nationalities. Um, so you've got this 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 real melting pot where everybody is bringing ideas, innovation. Everybody's having to to understand culture. Um, and, you know, you think coming over to the Far East, your, I mean, Korea, for example, is incredibly progressive in terms of technology um, innovation. Um, you know, it leads the world in, you know, in many uh, you know, innovative sectors, you know, with um, companies like Samsung, LG. Um, and just, you know, putting that back to the, the golf industry is, um, you know, I, I look back to the, you know, maybe when we was in Dubai and, you know, working with, um, you know, big hotel companies such as IHG. And, and, and I think that was one of the key things was being able to transfer a lot of what was happening in hotel hospitality industry and being able to pull that into the, into the golf industry. Um, and I think there's definitely um, a much larger focus because of that on service behaviors. Um, certainly in the Middle East, uh, you know, from a, from a, uh, you know, a service culture. Um, but then into the Far East, and I was saying this to Adam when we, we caught up the other week, was, 
it's probably, certainly Korea, my experience here, it's the best in terms of uh, customer service experience um, that, that I've ever experienced, um, which is, you know, and it's all, it's all based off of, of culture. Um, and I think it, it gives that, um, it, 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 it helps with innovation. It helps with people being able to, to think outside the box, you know, compared to UK. And, you know, I've not been in the UK in a long time, but, um, you know, you've got an industry that is evolving, um, but you've got the Middle East and the Far East that are still very much in their infancy. Um, you know, the Middle East, you know, probably from the 1970s, golf in Korea kicks off really in the 1980s. Um, so I don't think, you know, certainly from Korea, we're bound by the behaviours and the history that we, you know, that, that we, we grew up with. Um, and they were able to innovate to their culture, do things differently. Um, and I think there's been, um, you know, there's some, there's some very clear differences uh, between Asia and, and the West. And we had a conversation last week and there was a bit of a penny drop moment for me, Tim, where I sort of realised that in the West, where golf is obviously um, very mature, it's a developed golf market, so especially America, UK and parts of Europe, um, the East is that developing golf nations. Uh, that's the bracket that they fall under. But there still seems to be a mentality where it's we always sort of learn from the West. Um, I think in the UK, we always look to America. Um, there's always a feeling, I think, from the UK that Asia maybe looks to, to the UK or to Europe and also America. But we don't see it the other way around. And it feels like there is a huge amount of opportunity for learning from the East. Um, and we see very, very few case studies just in general um, industry discussions of what is happening throughout the countries of Asia. What are the learnings that can be uh, taken and utilized, whether that's UK, Europe or or America, it seems to be very still dominant from the West. The West is the expert. Do you, do you get that sense at all? I think from 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 the Middle East, yes. Um, but I think that that is very much based on the fact, um, you know, in, in the golf industry, are I would probably say ninety plus percent are from the UK um, in terms of you know professionals, club managers. Um, so I think a lot of those values are brought from the UK uh, into the Middle East, um, among with all those, you know, the other multicultures that are there. But in terms of the Far East, um, you know, Korea, China, Japan, they're incredibly, you know, homogeneous. You know, they're, they're, they're very close states. Um, and that, that has, you know, is where potentially there, there are some learning uh, opportunities from certainly from the East because they've done it their own way. Um, and, you know, they haven't really followed uh, America. They've not really followed, um, you know, Europe. They've built their golf industry around their culture. Um, and it, it has its challenges. Don't get me wrong. It really does have its challenges where there would be opportunity to learn. Um, but, you know, you're talking about a golf industry in Korea that, you know, is 80% of golf outlets are screen golf. Um, you know, 1% of golf courses have driving ranges. Um, 
the all driving ranges are, are generally cage ranges in in um, in urban communities. It's a completely different business model. Um, and you look at the the actual the the organisational structure of golf clubs. Um, you know we. We've grown up with committees and, um, and, and, you know, and boards. And, you know, I, I speak to people on a weekly basis, you know, that vent their frustrations, uh, you know, with committees, with um, that, that kind of structure. And um, it's, uh, it's completely different here. You're talking, I think, 120 of the 550 golf courses are owned by Samsung. Um, they are corporate businesses. Um, the golf clubs are run by CEOs. Um, and they are they are managed by the club um, and not by the members. So it's there would be, you know, I, I think definitely lessons that were that would be available to the West to look east. And because this is the same in Japan, this is the same um, in Korea. I would say the majority in China, but not all in China. Um, and um, you know, the, to, to understand actually what is the governance structure. Um, you know, it's, it, it's just completely different. So what, is there any downsides to that that you see? I mean, it's obviously, it's vastly different and it's really interesting to hear this because one thing I'm sure I've got, I've got the country right here, but am I correct in saying that Korea has the, the biggest number of simulator golf facilities, the estimate in the world? Uh, is that correct? Yeah. Yeah. So, I mean, it's obviously just completely different, both, both from a consumption of golf perspective and we do see the, the increase in simulator options being marketed in the UK, but it sounds like it's it's nothing on the same scale. I'm gonna I'm gonna throw a guess out there that the weather's not vastly worse in South Korea than it is in parts of the UK. So there's obviously a difference there. But what's the downsides if there are any to the approach over there? I think do you know what I think the the biggest downside is um is golf is still very much elitist. Uh, you know, it's it's very much seen as a, um, a sport that is is played by you know senior business people. Um, access is a big issue. Um, you know, you, you're talking about the third largest golf uh, market in the world. Uh, you know, behind the US and Japan, um, it is it's it's golf crazy, and you're you. I think this, this is where these screen golfs were born out of. You've got uh, companies like Golf Zone, which I'm sure you've heard of, which is the, the number one simulator. Um, you know, what, what happened was you've got these golf courses that are full. They're expensive. Um, you know, if you, if, you can, if you get change out of $300 for a golf, you know, a golf outing, um, you've, you've done well. Um, and so middle, if you like, middle managers, um, other communities in, in trying to access golf um, were able to come into screen golfs. And, you know, I could probably walk a mile down the street and there's four golf zone uh, outlets uh, where you could go, you could go and play. Um, and what it did, it gave an option for the person who couldn't get onto the golf course to actually be able to access golf. Um, you know, a, a large percentage of golf is in, in driving ranges and they have uh, big cage driving ranges all over um, over Korea and that aren't actually on the golf course. Um, so, so yeah, you've got to you've got to actually understand. I think first of all, you know, the history of golf in Korea. You know, you're talking about something that 
in the 1980s, Koreans started to play, but it wasn't until, you know, Seri Park in 1998 won the US Open that it, it went golf, this golf boom started. Um, so, you know, the, the, and what, what, what happened from that was you had probably, I think, from, you know, uh, the late 1990s, about 30 courses under, under construction every year. Um, and, you know, that, that has slowed down now. Um, but they were all built in uh, these grand clubhouses. I mean, you know, you've never seen better clubhouses than in Korea. The golf courses are incredible. They're huge facilities that were positioned at this elitist, uh, you know, businessman approach. But, you know, I, th I think Korea is learning its own lessons um, in the sense that, you know, you've, I think it was only last year, you probably had, I think it was about 15 courses went into court receivership. Um, so there you're getting, um, you know, uh, you know, share sales, asset sales, where, um, you know, private equity funds are coming in buying these courses and it's complete golf course rehabilitation. You know, they're going from these exclusive private to public courses. Now, I think from, uh, you know, maybe over 75% of courses that were, um, that were private, 50% are now public. Um, so there's a huge transition um, of, because, you know, they, they weren't sustainable. Um, they, they built these grand places that hemorrhage money um, and they've had to really change their business model. And that's in a short space of time. Um, so I think, you know, there are challenges here. You know, there are, um, you know, big, big challenges. Um, but it has the critical mass. It has the, you know, the enthusiasm, the, you know, the, the people that want to play. Um, you know, and that, that's just, a, that, you know, just a, a few of the challenges they're facing. And. How would you, if someone listening to this who hasn't um, been to Asia, visited some of these countries, how would you sort of differentiate the customers um, and the nationalities of how they sort of consume golf and their needs and wants? Are there any obvious examples? Yes. Um, you've, I mean, the average day of golf in Korea, if you were on a, on a golf outing, would be about nine hours. Um, and this is probably the, the biggest contrast. I know, Adam, we had a, a discussion about, um, you know, our experiences with Korean golfers overseas. Um, you know, when we was in Dubai, I think we were about 30% of our members were actually Korean, South Korean. We had big contracts with Samsung, LG, Hankook. And, um, you know, you'd have, uh, you'd have Korean four balls playing early on a Saturday morning and then a a guy from Yorkshire who wants to get round in about two hours and, you know, you get this, this big conflict. Um, so in terms of the profile of, uh, you know, the Korean golfer, it's, it's, it's a day out to them. It's, um, you know, they'll have uh, pregame uh, breakfast or lunch uh, in these grand clubhouses. Everything is four balls. You can't book anything outside of a four ball. Um, they have probably, I'd say on average, four beverage stations around the golf course. They will stop at every beverage station uh, to have something to eat, something to drink. You're stopping there for 20, 25 minutes. Um, the, uh, uh, the post game, they'll either have you know, dinner in the clubhouse or they'll all congregate in a, in, in a local restaurant. Um, uh, it is a real day out, but you know, beyond that, you're, you know, majority, certainly in the Seoul area, um, 
the golf courses are about 45 minutes to an hour, an hour and a half outside of the city. So, you know, it really is uh, this, this big day out. And you're, you're talking about, um, say, if you get changed from $300, you've done well. Um, but, you know, you're talking on a weekend, $250 for a green fee, $120 for the caddy fees, um, you know, plus plus all the food and beverage that you're consuming. You know, it is still positioned um you know as a as a very very expensive expensive sport and that's the profile that it fits and that is one of the big challenges that they have um you know certainly at a you know an inclusion grassroots level about you know accessibility getting more people into the you know into the game for reasons that aren't focused on um certainly young people only get into the game because they're focused on reaching an elite level uh, which is a very cultural thing in Asia, um, or it's it's wealthy businessmen who are um, you know either conducting business or entertaining clients. There's there's there isn't that middle ground. Hence why golf zone and, and driving ranges and places are so so popular. This sounds very similar to a site I came across a few years ago that was talking about. It was written in English and it was talking about the history of golf in Japan and how it how it had emerged what you're describing is almost exactly the same as what I heard there. And I know I understand there will be differences, but it kind of blew me away. And they were, they were sort of giving you an example of what a day would look like. And it's basically just what you said, you know, you get picked up in some luxury car and it's an hour and a half, two hours drive. And then you're out there and it, you know, you stop halfway around and it's particular kind of um, experience of food. And then there's, you know, hot baths afterwards and all that kind of thing. From what you're saying though, do you believe that there's an appetite for or a drive for increasing that access to the courses um, and also women and, and families because as you know you know that's a big focus and has been for a number of years now in the UK how do we support how do the national federations for example and how do the RNA and other global organizations how do they support clubs to start to sort of recognize how they can set up facilities to meet the needs of families because the demands on people's time are such that let's just say that the father of the household won't just go out now and spend nine hours at a golf course in the UK. What does that outlook look like over there? Do you think? I think there's, it's a great question because there is the, the, the Korean government as you know, even as early as I think probably 2010, 11, they, they, um, there was, there was change in legislation that um, was putting tax breaks in place for organizations that were building public golf courses. Um, and I think this is why you saw, you know, these, these you know, the, the purchasing of the, you know, these private equity funds, changing these golf clubs into public sources because of tax breaks, because they are, um, you know, financially, um, you know, rewarding as well. Mm -hmm. um, but, with these, with this this approach, the Korean government want to make golf more inclusive, um, and um, you know by increasing the amount of public golf courses, um, by um, subsidising some of those public golf courses as well to um, to allow for uh, you know young players. I mean, the fastest you know segment, the fastest growing segment in Korea is is ladies golf. Um, you know, okay. I, you only have to look at the LPGA, um, you know, uh, world rankings to see that. I think seven of the top ten are, are Korean or Korean descent. I'd probably say 
15 of the top 20 are Korean or Korean descent. Um, you know, and there is a, um, there is this, uh, you know, this, this support from the government, from the KLPGA and, the, and, the, and you know, the KPGA, um, there are initiatives out there, um, you know, that are trying to, trying to grow the game, you know, the game at a grassroots level. You know, they're, they're not really, you know, as probably as impactful as some of the initiatives that have rolled out, you know, in the US, the UK, you know, with club and coach, you know, club and coach, you know, all the family initiatives that are there. Um, because it's still very early days, um, you know, the, the, um, you know the, the governing bodies are supporting these initiatives. Um, you know, the Korean, I mean, when I was here in 2017, uh, it was probably one of the most eye-opening experiences I ever had. Um, I, was, I took on a four-month project uh, up in Incheon at, at Sky 72 Resort, uh, which is one of the, um, the, the biggest resorts in, um, in Korea. Um, and they have the world's largest driving range. I think it's, it's the world's largest undercover driving range. It's this huge stadium, um, you know, which is, you know, 600 yards across um, uh, in terms about, of diameter. About my width, that's helpful. Yeah. <laughs> you and me both. Um, and uh, it's, you, you know, you, you, have this, you have this academy where there's, there was probably sorry this, this driving range called Dream Range. If anyone wants to search, search it Dream Range at Sky Seventy Two. Um, there's probably I think there was about twenty seven academies around that um, just that driving range. Um, we set up an academy there, uh, working with national team players, working with uh, you know again everybody there is they're elite players. Now you've got 24 academies. I'd probably say on average have 10 to 12 kids. Um, so you're talking maybe 250 to 300 kids just at one facility. These are all elite players, um, you know, and, and when I say elite, these are good golfers. Um, but the, the, the really eye-opening thing for me was they didn't go to school. Um, so we had, we had uh, you know, kids that were from kind of 14 to, to 18 who – either have permission to take, um, take high school breaks or because they excel at a certain level that they can basically sign a register on a Monday morning and then go straight to the golf club. And, you know, but these are, these are, you know, athletes. These are, these um, are, you know, they're, they're at the, at the driving range at 8.30 every morning, six o'clock, they finish training. They're in the gym by 6.30 and it's this repeat, 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 repeat. And, you know, and if, You've got 300 kids in one academy. I mean, and there's academies all over Korea. And this was the probably the scariest part of it was, you know, these guys all want to make um, playing golf, you know, their career. Yes. And only a tiny percentage of them will achieve it. Um, and it was about, well, there's this huge sacrifice, you know, this, um, you know, these, uh, this sacrifice in terms of their education. Um, you know, you had parents were probably paying on average for uh, tournament season, for hotel stays across Korea, for coaching, probably about six thousand dollars a month. Um, it was it's it's crazy um, at this level. But it, but then the government, when it when it when the government changed, there was new legislation that came in that actually stopped the amount of time kids could have away from school. So again, it's it's, it's progressing. Um, in different areas, but that was probably the most eye-opening thing for me was that's how 
crazy. Uh, it, well, crazy from our perspective. Um, you know, it's it's very cultural here. Yeah, this is fascinating. I worked with a former colleague at Scottish Golf who had also uh, an Englishman who had worked uh, works for David Ledbetter, um, and then came to Scottish Golf and now works for David again. Uh, and he was previously based in South Korea. And we had a couple of conversations over some coffees just to learn some of the, the basics. Um, and there was an article that he pointed out that came out, I think it was in Golf World or Today's Golfer or something a few years ago. And it basically gave a few case study examples of young players and their parents and some behaviours and things that had been spotted. I, I'm sure one of the, the articles started off with the the young seven-year-old hit her first tee shot and it went into the trees on the right. And as she was walking off the tee, she was berated, something along those lines. And then it just the article dug into you know what the culture's like there. But the point that stuck out for me was reflecting on, on your comment there, there's if if a child in South Korea gets into the game, there's so much financial investment by the family into them, regardless of what age they start at. It's just a constant financial investment that there's a real pressure really of like mm. we're going to make this work because we've invested so much in that i guess we could have a whole other podcast discussion and we could bring in some some people who would have their opinions about what that that approach means for a child's development the obvious question for me is we all know around the world the percentages you see of players that make it as a player so what happens in south korea to all those players that don't make it as a player. There's the a lot will become um, KBJ uh, pros. So they'll they'll coaching. Um, a lot of them will basically completely fall away from the game um, and hopefully re-educate or do something different. Because you know there are a lot of these kids who are. I think forced is the wrong word, but you know, there's, there's a hell of a lot. I mean, my wife, just as a, as an example, my wife was a concert pianist, um, but she was, um, she was trained from the age of 10 um, at academies, six days a week, uh, sometimes seven to 1am as a 10 year old training, training, training. And, and what you, you know, when my wife, she moved to Dubai, she was, she became cabin crew with Emirates. Um, and she didn't play piano for 10 years after being a concert pianist. And, and, you know, when she reflects on it, it was very much about, well, you know, I was so pushed um, that it wasn't, it wasn't something that really fulfilled me. Um, and I think that's what you find with a lot of these people, you know, certainly from a, from a golf perspective, these kids who potentially don't make it is they literally turn their back on the game. Um, there's so many conversations I have with, um, you know, friends now that are kind of their mid thirties, Koreans who, you know, they, they played golf, you know, they play golf a lot and they, they probably haven't hit a ball in 15 years. And I think that's unfortunately one of the, you know, one of the, the dangers is it, it, it can be a deterrent and these people just go completely leave, leave the game um, and go do something else. But with the amount of ranges, screen golf um, facilities out there, are, there's plenty of opportunity for these guys to, you know, to, to take on coaching roles. Fantastic. And I think just to change tack slightly, um, another angle looking at some of your experiences are on a, on a career level, you, you've had a lot of global exposure a lot of exposure to different stakeholders from different backgrounds, from different cultures. 
How important has that been to your career development? Oh, I think it's been absolutely vital. Um, you know, I was, um, you know, in, in 2000 and, uh, 2011, I went out to Dubai, um, you know, as a, as a, a director of golf um, and then moved into, uh, into the GM role and then as part of senior executive for, for IHG. Um, and what the, um, I think some of the biggest things that I learned was number one, culture. Um, was being surrounded by, from my peers, subject matter experts from different parts of the world, from completely different backgrounds. Um, you know, being able to collaborate uh, with these people, understand, um, you know, their points of view, but, you know, obviously their areas of expertise. And, you know, and, and then working with, in Dubai, you know, we were, we were owned by, um, you know, one of the, the, the big families, uh, the Alpha Tame uh, group. Um, and, you know, ha actually having to work um, with owners, um, you know, reporting to owning companies every week, um, or sorry, every month, um, you know, and understanding what their expectations were, their behaviours, um, the pace of getting things done, um, you know, it, it can be a slight challenge in it, it, certainly in that part of the world. Um, and it was, um, oh, just, it was probably the best decision I ever made. And I would always recommend anyone that is, has itchy feet and wants to get overseas, do it. If you get an opportunity, um, you know, just embrace other cultures, you know, look, uh, look outside of your comfort zone, your your little box. Um, coming to Korea uh, was a completely different kettle of fish. You know, I'm I'm lucky I speak Korean uh, because it would be um, a huge challenge. And you know, there's a friend of mine is is probably the only other British PJ guy I know in Korea, uh, and I think we're probably the only two. Um, you know, it's it's really challenging. His wife is Korean, so you know, I, I think he. Uh, you know, that, that, that's one of the reasons he's here, but it is incredibly challenging to do business at that level uh, where, you know, you're going to, you know, uh, you know government uh, ministries or, or whatever it is to, to try and, you know, incorporate a business or, um, you know, go through recruitment processes. Um, it's, it's, it's very different. And, you know, with Korea, just the platforms where you're able to do that are incredibly different because you're not going to post a job on LinkedIn for, um, you know, a Korean candidate, for example. So it's understanding the way business is made up here, the channels of how you use business. And then when we went back to Oman, um, you know, it was um, working for, you know, my chairman was, um, it was a royal family. So his uncle is now the Sultan and he is the chairman of the central bank. So you are, you're in a room with incredibly educated, influenced, you know, influential people. And one of the biggest things I learned, you know, probably from, you know, that experience is that in Dubai is how do you influence a boardroom when you have that kind of person in front of you? You know, whether you're in Dubai and you've got a billionaire sat in front of you who, you know, is very, uh, obviously very um, business savvy, but um, very clear about what they want. Um, you know, you're sat in front, you know, of, of, of you know, of um, His Highness in uh, in um, in Oman, and we, we, you know, e even the whole board. These these are industry leaders. You know, we had um, you know big um, MDs and business owners on our board, 
how do you influence those? And that was probably the biggest thing for me was being able to connect with these people and, um, you know, and, 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 and find a middle ground about how we can take the business forward. Um, yes, they rely on my industry expertise, but, you know, I probably never learned as much um, about business than I probably did my time in the Middle East. Um, just, it was, yeah, yeah, great experience. Yeah, Tim, again, um, fascinating stuff, but the, the obvious follow-up question for me is, you know, what if there was a, what if there was a gather member sitting listening to this and they're now fully inspired to get out of their comfort zone, as you say, or somewhere in the West, perhaps, and, and they're interested in coming to Korea or somewhere else in Asia and finding a role to do what Adam's saying there. You know, can we go over there and actually learn from the culture of golf in these countries? Are there many opportunities to do that? I mean, should there be? I mean, perhaps, perhaps there isn't, they aren't necessary, um, but are there opportunities and what? how might they start if they're interested in doing that? They, yeah, I think um, the opportunities are, they, they are few and far between. And um, maybe just, just to start with Korea, for example, um, you know, as, as I said earlier on, it's, it's, it's an incredibly developed country. Um, and I think, you know, certainly maybe more Southeast Asia and, and China, historically, you've had expat GMs go in. Um, you know, um, Korea, um, I, d I don't think there's been, um, if there has, there maybe has been one or two expat GMs actually come in. Um, but, you know, there, there certainly isn't now. Um, the, I, th I think if someone is looking to come over here, and I know there is, there's a lot of roles that will come up in China, um, certainly from coaching perspective. Um, there are, um, you know, academies all over uh, China that are looking for, you know, uh, PJ professionals to come in. Um, you know, even, uh, you know, uh, you know, agronomy specialists or, you know, people who are looking at club management. Um, there are opportunities. I, you know, I, I have, uh, there's a few guys who used to work for me that are now based in China and Hong Kong. Um, you know, so there are opportunities. I think it's about, it's about keeping connected with the right people. Um, you know, and, and please share my details with, with anyone that shows interest here. And I'd happily to, you know, connect with with any network I have. Um, the um, and, and Japan is similar to Korea. It's it's very as as a golf industry. It's it, it it is difficult. It's not it it's not impossible. Um, and I think you know having um, you know the PGA of America will sometimes um, put out jobs um, for you know roles in this part of the world. Um, the um, the uh, but but coaching where where I feel there's there's an opportunity for expats to come over here. I I, I think I would I would start with coaching um, as a as a as a good kind of any anyone out there in the industry who's thinking okay well I want to get out um, start coaching because there's there's two crazes in Korea at the moment and certainly at that um, you know that that maybe pre that high school pre-university age, um, which is golf and English. Um, and, you know, there's, there's a real opportunity for, and I know there are academies here who want English speakers to come over to kill two birds with one stone might be the, you know, not, not the right way to say it, but 
there's a real opportunity because um, young adults or, or these, these students, they are looking to learn in English. And when I was lecturing in university a few years ago, uh, and I will be again later this year, it's um, I'm lecturing in English um, because there is this real high demand to want to be able to speak in English because Korea is trying to, you know, become much more multicultural. Um, you know, this younger generation is, um, you know, want to travel. They want to, you know, show Korea. So what I think you're going to find over the next I would say five to 10 years is you're going to see a huge, um, you're going to see an increase in opportunities out here. Um, you know, um, China for sure, Japan, Southeast Asia, there, there, there are always opportunities, um, you know, and I think it's just about branching out your network, um, keeping contact with people, um, you know, we all know that, you know, people like to work with people they like, um, you know, and if you can, if you can network the right way um, and stay in contact with people, um, stay at the front of people's minds when opportunities come up, um, I think that's, that, that's, that's the way you're going to kind of get your foot in the door. And to follow on up from that, I think what we've seen, especially here in the West, as it were, we're seeing more Korean golfers, Chinese golfers, um, owners come into uh, these established or developed golf markets. Um, maybe the, there's a, there is definitely limiting opportunities in Asia, as you say, compared to uh, other parts of the world. But someone listening, it's probably important that they get sort of um, uh, an understanding of these cultures and how these consumers like to work and behave. Is there anything that they could do um, just to sort of educate themselves so that in the future, if they come across golfers from Asia, they know roughly what the uh, the behaviours and the cultures uh, are really. Yeah, I do you know. I think I think there's there's a lot that people can do. Um, you know, from from researching history, um, you know, understanding why the cultures are particularly like this. Um, you know, just for example, with um, when we were in Dubai. Um, you know, I think you know Adam and I had a conversation a while ago about this. Um, you know there was a huge influx of Chinese um, golfers into Dubai at the time. This is probably maybe 2015. Um, and um, we rolled out a program called China Ready. Um, and basically we, we ensured that all of our colleagues, and this wasn't just at the golf course, this was a call across all of our hotels, um, were uh, fully educated in Chinese culture. Um, because it is, um, if you look at China, Korea, Japan, you know, they, they really adopt, you know, this, this Confucianism, this, um, you know, this, uh, the culture, the respect culture, you know, in, in Japanese, there's, there's eight levels of respect in conversation, you know, in Korea, there's three or four, you know, in China, Chinese, you know, there's, there's, there's a lot more. So it's, it's really understanding, um, you know, where, how, how, certainly from a golf industry perspective, how has the evolution of the industry gone? You know, and maybe I'll just use Korea as an example because it's, it's what I know best. But, um, you know, you're, you're talking about an, an industry that really is in its infancy, but is the third largest in the world. Um, you know, it's about, okay, well, um, understanding that um, Koreans, for example, like to travel. Um, you know, they, they certainly to, to Southeast Asia, uh, to, to the Middle East, um, they generally speak good English. Um, certainly the guys that travel, because the guys that don't, 
they are very, they'll stay within Korea. Whereas Chinese tend to travel a lot more. And one of the things that we did across our properties is was we actively recruited Chinese speakers. Um, and we did, I did this in Oman as well. Um, we, um, we went to the Asian Gulf Tourism Convention. Um, we made a real point of, um, you know, connecting with, with Chinese golfers because uh, there, was a, there was a direct route from Guangzhou to, to Muscat at the time. So we knew there was going to be an influx. But we, we employed a, a Chinese-speaking professional. Um, because one of the barriers that Chinese will certainly find when they, they go overseas is language. Um, it's about, um, you know, food, culture. Um, and, you know, I just, I, I just think it's about if people are really interested and they really want to focus on this part of the world, whether that's looking at inbound tourism, whether that's looking at job opportunities here, you just have to do your homework. Um, connect with guys like me, um, you know, and, and, and ask questions. You know, I'm always happy to, to, to help where I can. Um, but it, it, there's, no, there's no, you know, shortcut. It's, it's do your homework, um, you know, and, and, and understand. You don't have to learn the language, um, but just understand why the industries, you know, are certainly like they are. The, yeah, the, the next question that would be great to know on more of a, not such an individual basis, but perhaps an industry basis. How do we collaborate better with Asia? So going right back to the start, Adam's comment about, you know, even just Adam, Mike and I, for example, and, and the Gather community, how can we collaborate better so that some of those case studies come back? That's, yeah. I think there's there's different, different ways to approach, approach that. Um, I, I like the idea of, um, you know, in terms of, in terms of bridging the gap is I would, I would really encourage um, industry professionals from uh, maybe from the West to even start exploring um, Korean candidates for roles. Um, I think that would be one great area because, you know, you, you're talking about, um, five a, a golf industry that is huge. The expertise is is unbelievable, and it's one of the reasons that they don't potentially need too many expats coming in because, you know, KPJ coaches are fantastic and just as passionate working as their coaching as the players are at their game. You've got um, incredible agronomy teams. You've got great management. I think it would be, you know, how do we bring Korea, Japan and China, um, you know, thinking about the Far East, how do we bring them to the table? Um, you know, the, um, the uh, you know, the, uh, the CMAE, the uh, GCMA, some of these bodies that roll out, um, gather, you know, some of these that are rolling out education, um, I think is, is a good way to try and really reach into the, the Korean community and try and, and, and bring it out. Uh, because I said it is so homogeneous and it's um, they are very enclosed in what they do, but they're trying and, and believe me, they are really, really looking for opportunities to get out and experience, um, certainly the, the younger generation that's coming through now, to get out and experience um, new cultures. Um, so I, I think it's about, you know, organisations uh, reaching out 
potentially to the governing bodies here because you know don't forget there's a there's an LPGA tour event in Korea there's a PGA tour event in Korea um, there was I believe a Kosei European tour a few years ago so there's you know they, they, they are very much trying to to reach out to globalize I think you know in terms of sponsorship from a you know I think no no other country sponsors more on the PGA tour than South Korea uh, you know with the CJ Cup with Kia with Genesis um, you know so there is um, the, 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 there is this want to get out. Um, and then how do, you know, I think it's about, you're going to see Korea, as I mentioned before, you're going to see this, this, uh, this industry evolution over the next, you know, five to 10 years where it will become more multicultural. It will become, um, you know, uh, more accessible, um, to Western professionals to come. And, um, it's. Uh, I, I think. I think. Then you will start to see this. Um, you know. This. This connection with the West. Um, I think it's. Uh, it's just such a good opportunity. Um, it really is. It is such a unique part of the world, the Far East. Um, you know, in terms of the way clubs are run, operations. I think people could learn so much um, from that. And, you know, and, and it is transferable back, um, you know, to, you know, to, to the West or, the, you know, the state, you know, wherever. Um, but it's, uh, it, it's about, you know, who's, not necessarily who's going to make the move. Um, you know, I, I think there's just an opportunity for these organizations to reach out and, um, and, and start to, um, start to, you know, to build these pathways um, for people to come. Yeah, it's, it's fantastic, and it's uh, it sounds like we're ahead of the curve slightly. And I think the the COVID world has obviously put a stop to a lot of this collaboration just because of the stop on travel. But as you say, that next generation sounds really, really exciting, um, and obviously a huge opportunity for golf in Korea, uh, changing the maybe the the access points. But I think just for other markets around the world, it's a huge opportunity to engage with with people that are, as you say, looking to get out, looking to experience new cultures. So even for a, a general manager in a, in a quiet part of the UK, uh, maybe in the landscape in the next 30 years, um, Korean golfers, golfers from Asia might be something on the radar. Oh, for sure. Absolutely. Yeah. Well, there you have it. This is a, yet another Gather Global podcast that has taught me how little I know. And I used to agree with the phrase every day is a school day, but I feel at the moment every time we do a podcast, it feels like every day is a university day. And I'm really, the, the cogs are certainly turning in, in my head and it's uh, it's just brilliant. You know, thanks for so much for taking the time to, to go through all of this with us, Tim. And I feel like this is the definition of scratching the surface, isn't it? I, I would love to be able to thank you in Korean. How would I do that? Kamsamida. 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 Okay. Yeah. And, and it, you, could, you, could, you could say if it was between, this is the respect level. So it would start at Gomawa, uh, Gomawayo, Kamsamida, Gomasumida. So okay. these are the, so if I was talking to my mother in law, it would be the highest respect. Okay. Well, given your knowledge today that you've displayed, I think I need to thank you at the highest level. So Kamsamida. Kamsamida. Perfect. Is there any final words that you might want to pass to the Gather community? I mean, 
Um, it's probably a bit unfair to ask you that because I think you've given about a hundred nuggets of, of wise advice today. Would there be any final message that you might want to give to the Gather community? Any words of wisdom or or any request or you know any of them to sort of look at a source of information that you might recommend? Yeah, um, and I did warn you about the rabbit holes I'll go down. So, so thanks for bringing me in. Uh, those, those who know me know uh, I have I tend to go off in tangents. But um, yeah, I think you know, uh, in terms of of, uh, of any of advice to the to the community, and you know, and I feel very privileged to be part of that now. Is um, is is to stay connected. Um, is to is to keep networking, keep talking to people globally about. Um, you know, uh, about what's going on in different parts of the world, what could potentially be transferred, you know, going back to the start where, you know, we, we talk about this, this broken industry. It just, for me, I, I believe this is the most exciting time to be part of this industry. You know, COVID aside, and, and, I, and I, I can't wait to see what innovations and creativity are going to come out because of this pandemic. Um, but, you know, I think it's um, disrupt like hell, <laughs> um, Ask great questions. Don't stop challenging. Um, you know the status quo. I think that's the that that's the main thing. And you know, and for young managers out there, you know, there's always this. Um, you know, young managers that you know I still speak to. Um, you know, I think there's this this idea that they should be on some kind of developmental pathway that is very narrow and very structured. I should have this role followed by this role. Do you know what? From being overseas now for so long. Just, just take opportunities. If they come your way, seize them, go with it. Um, there's a hell of a lot of learning experiences out there. And obviously, Gather is a community of, uh, of learning and, and, and industry experts. So, uh, so no, I, 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 will, I will leave it there. And again, if anyone has any, any questions more about career or, or the Far East, please, please reach out. That's just brilliant. Thank you for the offer, for all of that help uh, and, and that you made earlier on to get in touch with you as well, Tim. It's a, a big gum samida from me. I hope I'm not doing anyone a disservice with that. And just a final word to the Gather community. This is as much of an enjoyable learning experience for me and I'm sure for Adam too, as hopefully it is for you all listening at home. Thank you very much for your time, Tim. Pleasure. Thanks, Colin. Thanks, Tim. Really appreciate it. Thanks, Adam.